everyone, Dave and Jeff, another Dave and Jeff podcast. This time we got a special guest, though, in studio, Jeff. Uh, always great to see our friend Brett Boone in the new garage. Brett had been with us at Bubba's. Now he's down here in East Lake. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I, I, I wasn't going to go to the old garage. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. said, said there's a new one. Yeah. Good to have you down here. <laughs> it, it was fun. We were just talking before we started about the unwritten code of baseball. I think I speak for Dave when he goes a fan of the game who loves the game. I'm fascinated by all that. As a guy who played at the highest level, how much did you pay attention to the code, the unwritten code of baseball, Brett? Well, I th- I think uh, there is a code, but you know what I ask players is before you before you talk about it, know what the code is officially. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not. This isn't high tech stuff. It's basic stuff. You know, if it's 10 to 2 in the ninth inning and you're winning, you're on the winning side, you don't steal second base. You don't take the extra base. You don't get thrown out at the plate. You still play the game, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I talk to the little kids now that Dave and myself coach is is if we have a huge lead, I I don't want them to steal anymore. But still, you've got to keep the integrity of the game at a point, you still play the game. Sure. If there's a pass ball and you're on third and it ricochets down the right field line, I don't want you staying on third. That's that's kind of uh, condescending the other way. Sure. So so play the game, but don't show anybody up. If you're going to take an extra base and you're winning 14 to 2, make sure you're standing up at the next base. Uh, we don't want to bang, bang out like you're, yeah. you're really putting it in their face. So there's basic rules, but... Um, they're fairly simple, and it doesn't take really much to dissect them. I hear the, you know, time to time during the – now I'm an old guy, but, you know, I keep up with the game. And, and once in a while there's a controversy that comes up, and, and uh, you know, I'll hear a comment from someone like, well, he doesn't even know the rules. He doesn't even yeah. know what is correct and, and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So, well, so anyway, if, they, who cares? I'm an old guy now. Well, you know, it's, the unwritten rules, it's only like that, I think, in baseball more than anything else. You might know, Jeff, just around hockey all the time. There might be something I, I'm not aware of as I feel I watch hockey trying to catch up. More, not, not to your knowledge, but, but more baseball, in combat I feel like I'm a sports, Brett, I, I spend a lot of time in combat sports. And what I'm hearing Brett say, Dave, is it's a respect. It's it, a it respect is. manner for your opponent yep. in the team. I, I like what you said. Don't condescend me, right? Don't patronize me. But also don't try to show me up. Don't put it in my face. Yeah. But but when, when there's a base hit, and you still have to look at the other side of things because we're baseball players. This is our life. This is mm-hmm. our living. This is how we earn a living. And RBIs are important to us. Yeah. So, so in a 10 to 2 game, if I hit a ball that splits the gap a little bit but still a single, I still want that runner on second to score. That counts for me. I care. Yeah. Yeah. I care. Yeah. This isn't a do or die. So, no, like you said, we're not going to – we're not going to embarrass the other team or show up the other team. But as players, you yeah. know, if I hit a ball in the gap, I, I want a double. Yeah. But I'm not going to stretch it where sometimes I'm going to take a risk. Sure. In that situation, of course, I'm going to do the right thing and, and stop and say it first. You know, when you look at baseball, it seems like there's always something that maybe wasn't acceptable 20 years ago that, that's not acceptable. Even breaking up double plays has changed but dramatically. But Carlos Gomez the other day, celebrated like no other i think it was sunday's game hits a walk-off home run and looks at his teammates and he sticks his tongue out and well, he does the and dance says, the whole oh, deal. there goes number 62 yeah how many homers <laughs> do you have i mean you're right here's a guy that has struggled to stay in the big leagues over the last few years but as a player even though that's the end of the game the end of a series is that one of those where you guys uh, go well, we're going to remember that well oh in my day of course we will 
Of course. It, it is a difference between a young player doing it and Barry Bonds doing it uh, or Griffey doing it. Uh, and I don't really see Griffey's was a favorite of mine. You know, we talk about bat flips and all. Well, there's bat flips and then there's uh, premeditated bat flips, which sure. I hate. You know, they're all around the game now. But I watched the game today and, and you know, with some of the guys in my era, 90s and early 2000s, and, and it's baffling to me. It's The celebration is at a ridiculous high bar. <coughs> that being said, <coughs> it seems like everybody's on the same page. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. And who am I to say, being 49 years old, sitting on the outside, an ex-player, telling the current players how to, if they're okay with it, it's really kind of none of my business. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, but my dad didn't like a lot of things in our era. and My grandpa didn't like a lot of things in my dad's era. That's just, the game goes on. The game is so much bigger than an individual player or an individual era. It continues to evolve some things i really like that are going on and some things i can do without but that's that's why we're sitting here on the outside talking about it were you surprised aaron took the yankee job i mean with that in mind brett kind of kind of following up on what you were just saying oh no aaron's, about today's aaron's drinking the kool-aid he's mr mr analytical i had an argue with him the other day is he an analytic guy <laughs> yeah aaron is first i'll say there's not too many high iq guys that I consider at the highest level. I mean, I probably met 10 in my life. Yeah. Aaron's one of them. Cool. He's very high IQ. He's very likable, uh, high integrity man. Um, but the other day we were talking about something and he just started bringing up this, well, how could you not do that? You know, we were fire engine red on this play. And I go, fire engine red, what's that? Oh, that's code for the analytics say it's a really high percentage move. And I just started laughing. Going, this is my brother. He's drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, he's it. Maybe that's why he got the job. Yeah. No, he's uh, doesn't really surprise me because I think Aaron quietly. Yeah. Uh, I think he really enjoyed the ESPN, um, but quietly, I think he'd always wanted to manage, and and it, it just came together real quick. I mean, it wasn't something that me or my father were talking to him about every night. It just kind of came together, and then you know the the vacancy became mm -hmm. with Girardi leaving went in, I guess he killed it in the interview. And next thing you know, he's the manager, uh, dream job. Awesome. Sure. Oh, your best first job, job in the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's learning early in New York. Uh, you know, I laugh at the social media. I think the first, his first test was, you know, we're talking, um, Josh Donaldson for Toronto and he comes up and there's a base open and it's a tight game. It's a one run game. And Josh is off to a slow start, but he's got about nine at-bats. Yeah. Now, here's an MVP caliber yeah. player. And no disrespect to Justin Smoke, who's becoming a very good player in his own, but he's he hasn't done the things Josh Donaldson's done. So Aaron intentionally walks mm -hmm. him. Smoke has a heck of an at-bat. I watched the whole at-bat. He spit on yeah. some tough pitches, fouled off a tough pitch, and took a cutter from Robertson. He went into center field seats for a grand slam. And the next day, Aaron's just getting roasted. I'm, and I call him, and I'm laughing. And I said, you know, the bottom line is this, it's the right move. Yeah. Um, if you don't walk him and Donaldson gets a base hit to right and two runs scores, you're dead. You're dead. Yeah. yeah. You're so dead. you're going to lose no matter what you do. Bottom line in this game is <clears throat> when you lose, uh, it's your fault. Yeah. Yeah. And when you win, it's the players. <laughs> yeah. Of course. But yeah. that's the way the game's sure. set up. That's why managers are hired and they're going to be fired. Eventually, yeah. you're going to be fired. So do it your way. 
so when you, one day it's over and it's yeah. over for everybody you know yeah. the, even the joe tories lou pinellas sure. eventually you're gonna get fired Do, and i talk about managers in baseball check joe tory who i love love playing against him mm-hmm. have the utmost respect for him how did joe tory do when he was in st louis yeah Either when you got the horses, you can go. Yeah, right. There's only so much you can do as a manager. I think the great managers take the analytics, uh, they take their gut, they take their baseball knowledge. Um, <clears throat> you got to be people p- person. Mm-hmm. You got to know how to read people. What it takes to what? Do you, how do I have to treat a certain guy to yeah. get the same good results? It's not necessarily, and I, I think we've covered this before. Some guys you got to stick your, your foot up their butt. Yeah, and another guy you got to go give a hug. Yeah, to get the same results, but that's the job of a manager is knowing who to treat a certain way, who not to, and that's just reading people. You know, going back to the Josh Donaldson thing, because I remember last year Josh Donaldson got off to a slow start after winning MVP. I think only had nine home runs at the All Star break, and then he cu- he caught fire. And your, your dad and I have discussed a little bit about Josh Donaldson will let everybody know that he goes for hitting bottom of the ball, launch angle, does the whole deal, and then he said the trick was to get Donaldson out, meaning your father. It was what what I was watching on TV, but to have someone explain it to me who's high up in Major League Baseball and played for such a long time, he said, we just raised basically our pitches, our, our, our strikes on. We, instead of throwing low strikes a uh, half an inch below the knee, we raised it up so he was going to pop up and he was going to strike out. And But going back to that situation with your brother, you were raised, your dad was raised, I'm sure your, your grandfather never let the big bat beat you. It was, sure. the right, it was the right move. And, and right, and you're, you're, he's one for nine. Big deal. Yeah. You know, guys like that that have proven and have a track record, uh, it's still what you do. Yeah. It's yeah. what you do. The next day, I think he hit two homers. Yeah. And, and it just so happened. You know, sometimes you're going to get beat. You're going to make the greatest move you can make on paper. Everybody agrees with you, and if it doesn't work out, you shouldn't have done it. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the beast. And and if you want to be, you know, I called Aaron. I said, so you want to be a big league manager, <laughs> do you? And, uh, you know, he kind of laughed it off. He said, yeah. yeah, that was the right move. I said, of course it was the right yeah. move. But, you know, but he's smart enough. He doesn't, he's no. not going to listen to the, if you listen to the talk shows, you'll go crazy. Oh, yeah. So was... so he's, you know, he's, he's doing great. I mean, Buck Showalter walked Barry Bonds with the bases loaded. I'll right? tell you, I've got a lot of Barry Bonds story. We did it, too. We, we uh one run game, the lefty on the mound. No, 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 righty on the mound. Where were you, Cincinnati or I here? think we we're in Candlestick. Okay, no, but oh, what I team were you? I think I was Cincinnati. Okay, I think it was uh, who was our closer? Jeff Brantley at the time. Oh wow! Intentionally walked in to lead off the inning. Wow! In a one run game. Yeah. What does he do? He steals second. Yeah. I walk over to him and I just kind of <laughs> I looked at him and I said. Uh, I'll tell you what, Barry, I've seen a lot of stuff. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And he looked at me, took his helmet off, and he kind of said, Booney, I'd have done the same thing. <laughs> and it, as much as I wanted to have an answer to yeah. kind of shove it in his face, yeah. he was right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the, the greatest player I've ever right. seen. And I can't, he can back up everything he says. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the you got to realize when Barry was in that window of oh. ridiculousness, yeah, you really couldn't pitch to him. And not alone, not only did people not throw him strike. I mean, he's walking like more than Babe Ruth. When yeah, you start doing stuff like that. Yeah, I've never seen pitchers give a hitter more respect when they were pitching around him. I mean, they're throwing him two feet outside in the dirt. <laughs> yeah, I'm going just put him on. Yeah, save some face here. Yeah, um, but he was that good. I mean, to a point where I think if you if you 
if you took a poll from the players from 1985 to the players 2010 and said, who's the greatest hitter you've ever seen? I, I think it would be a landslide. Wow. You know, 95%. Would say, yeah. It's not even close. Yeah. You know, I look at these great hitters. Miguel Cabrera, what Pujols has done in his career, the great players of today. Mm-hmm. And they're really good. But I'll tell you what, no one's even close. No one's amazing. even close to Barry. It's like he put the game in slow motion. It's like he was playing slow pitch softball, and yeah. the rest of us were playing at the big leagues. And I remember some big years I had where, you know, my numbers up on the board, I had more RBIs than him, j- just as many homers, hitting 320. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's so much better than me. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Because they won't pitch to him. No. And in that era, it's like, no, not only if you just throw him a strike out over the plate, this is not a base hit. <laughs> this yeah. thing's ricocheting off a facade somewhere. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. We saw a lot of it in San Diego, that's for sure. Seemed like Barry had a field day at Qualcomm, Jack Murphy. You think he's appreciated, Brett? Or is it because of his personality I, I think that he may not have had Tony Gwynn, Cal Ripken's personality that people hold that against him? Well, when you talk about them, who? Uh, uh, fans, I think, I think, media? Uh, I think, uh, sure. Sure, there's probably some people that have some ill feelings towards yeah. him. Um, his did peers. he get appreciated amongst his peers? Oh, without question. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think when we put this uniform on, um, we can't worry about crowd uh, yeah. reporters. Yeah. When I'm done playing the game and, and I go to take a shower – and I can look every one of my peers in the eye, and I have their respect. Mm-hmm. That's what it's. That's what it's about. Yeah. When you uh, when you look at the game today, and we, Jeff and I talked about this a little bit last night about the no hitter protocol, and because it seems like you can't win. You know, if if you say the word no hitter and you're a broadcaster, players get upset with you. If you don't say no hitter, fans get upset with you. What is the protocol in the dugout as far as player to player and what you expect the broadcasters to do? Well, first of all, players and broadcasters are completely separate. Um, broadcasters have a job to do. They have a job to, to, to bring in the public. They've got to walk a fine line. They've got to keep the respect of the public. But it, I think they wouldn't be doing their job if, if you know, because the casual guy surfing the channels and he pops on, if you're doing a Padre game and he pops on a Padre channel, and, hey, he's got a no-hitter in the seventh. That guy in his car is probably going to keep the station yeah. in there. So that's his job is to, to bring people to the game. I can't fault him at all um, when a no-hitter is going on. As far as player-to-player, player, it's something you just didn't do. You yeah. didn't you didn't talk about it. You know, once in a while you'd have somebody say to you, hey, you know that Joe's got a no-no through six, and you'd look at him like, yeah. did you just – is this your first year? <laughs> you know, it's not something I want to get in a fight yeah. with him about, but I sure. kind of give him a look like, come on, man, stop. You don't yeah. say that. Yeah. Bottom line is he's got to go out and make the pitches. He's the pitcher's not going to be mad at you either. But it's just something we just kind of respectfully don't talk about. But when it came to media, it's like no, your job is different than my job. Your job is to bring the game to the fans and bring the fans in, and that's your job is to get as many fans as you can. And if you got a no hitter going, yeah, and and you announce that more fans are going to be listening, and that's the bottom line is what makes this game go around. It's funny we told the story last night that Dave and I have a friend who was part of the Padre announce team that got shouted down. On a team bus by a player, and really nobody stepped in for using what the player thought said the no hitter, and and he was challenged saying, "Hey, you're part of the fraternity." Tony Gwynn stepped in and ended it. But we were just talking before the break about our friend Glenn Geffner, who's the radio voice of the Marlins. 
I got the best message today from Glenn, who had listened to the podcast. And he said, you know, I've been part of six no-hitters, lucky enough to call them. He said, nobody has ever said, including Roy Halliday, perfect game. Hey, Glenn, thanks for everything you did. Thanks he for said, you, you, were, said, you announced the crap yeah. out of that one. He said, I, he said, no member of the Boston Red Sox has ever thanked me for my role in the two World Series, John Carlos Stanton. And he said, you can't, you have to. Now, we were talking more last night from a TV perspective, but he was saying exactly what you just said. But, but Brett, let me ask you this, because it's so clear that you see the game, you talk the game at a different level than a lot of people that Dave and I have come across in 20 years that played the game. Do you feel like when you say that, that, hey, look, I get it. The broadcasters have the job to do. Sure. Do you feel like of the average player on a bench in any major league team today, would you be in the majority or would you be in the minority? As far Me as and my look and how I no, I mean as far as your attitude towards the broadcaster and saying, "Hey, go for it, man! You got to do your I, job." I think the real players, the players that are that are in the know, that have a yeah. real strong grasp of the game, the do's, the don'ts, uh, common sense in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, how many are there? What's the percentage? I would of people say that half. Put, all the guys you don't hear from. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the guys that usually come out real strong really usually have a bad argument. You know, I like to come to the table and and I got. 50 facts to back up everything I say. Yeah. You don't have that, don't come to the table. Just yeah. stay quiet. Because um, there's a lot of people that, that have misinformation, and, and they can be great players. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, just because you're a great player doesn't mean you're right. Yeah. Um, and I see I see people all the time making comments, and I'm going, this guy's – I respect the heck out of him as a player. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the one thing for me in baseball. It's like I'll debate anyone on this planet when it comes to baseball, and I've yes. got everything, all facts to back it up. Now, certain things, of course, aren't facts. Like I said, with my myself and my dad or my sure. grandpa or my brother, we'll debate, you know, we'll take two sides of the arguments. We'll debate all night, and it'll end by one of us laughing. We're yeah. not going to get mad at each other. Yeah. But those are opinions, you know, your, your approach towards the game. It's not necessarily a... Uh, black and white line of you're right and I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like no, I feel this way. I would do this. No, I would do it this way. Okay, well, there's there's room to debate that all night. But as far as this, the hard facts of what is right and what is wrong, it's pretty darn clear. Yeah. Curious to know, as a player, when do you realize a guy has has a no hitter? Like for me, as a as a broadcaster, <laughs> I would get a phone call in the fifth inning from ESPN saying, "Are you at the ballpark?" Because we're aware. There's a no-hitter going on. It was always the fifth inning was the magic number. As a player being on the field, was it one time through the lineup to go, I don't think anybody's touched him? I think uh, usually for the players, we don't really pay attention to that. Um, but as Because we're worried about our own stuff. Yeah, you know, right. we're like, this guy's got a nasty split. I, I, yeah. I can't lay off it. You know, we're not yeah. thinking about yeah. our pitcher. You know, we're playing D the best we can. Uh, usually it's kind of the looks, you know, people start giving each other. like, And then and once, you know, we're out there, might be a – uh, pitch coach might come to the mound. Catcher might. Well, you're not allowed to come to the mound anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But catcher might. You know, might be a break in the action. I mean, to just turn around. And, you know, catch the scoreboard. Wow, they have no hits. So usually it's at least yep. the fifth, maybe later than that, where you kind of catch a clue and you know, or or you'll notice sometimes walking in the dugout and everybody's on extra. Yeah. You know, extra quiet probation, <laughs> and you'll kind of look around like, what? Oh. So you kind of get it, and then you know, you go from there. And, and rarely, it, like I said, it's not a, it's not like if somebody were to say it, you're going to go beat them up. <laughs> you're just going to kind of look yeah. at them like, are you serious? 
little cash in kangaroo court, maybe? Yeah, I don't know how much kangaroo court's around anymore. That's a drag, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it, I don't know. I had sometimes a real fun experience, and sometimes it's yeah. like, when is this over? Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. stupid. How many times are you going to bang, bang the rookie for doing this and that? Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah. come on, I got films to watch. Let's go. Move on. Who, uh, you defensively, sitting at second base, I think we touched on this before, but I think it's been almost a year since we did this. You defensively sitting at second base. Who's the best guy? Like, do you remember the game where you go, man, this is insane? I feel like you said Randy Johnson, but I could be wrong. Defensively for when you're just playing at second, being base, in awe of the pitching performance. Yeah, a guy, your teammate. Well, I was in awe. All right, and I've said this a lot, and he he should be sending me Cash. thank you emails. Although he doesn't, he's not going to listen anyway. No, Maddox <laughs> is the best I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Day in and day out. Not yeah. not from a sheer dominance, make you look ugly at the plate. Sure. But just a complete, just a master. Yeah. I mean, it was like he was sitting there, you know, when you watch those bowlers bowling those 300 Yeah, games, yeah, yeah. It seemed like he was doing that every time. And when everybody else would have a rough night, even the great ones, Clemens, Randy, those guys, you know, when they had an off night, they were missing, they'd miss by a foot. Mm-hmm. Maddox on an off night would miss by a couple inches and be wow. so mad at himself. Yeah. So as far as a sheer technician, uh, it, maybe even that whole staff, Maddox, Moltz, Glavin. Wow. It was just like, wow, three different number one legit yeah. aces, and they all do it a different way. But they're all – one thing they had in common is their, their control was impeccable. From a sheer dominating, uh, without a doubt, Randy. Yeah. Uh, when he was on his game, just watching it, like, wow, I don't want to grab a bat. It would be Randy. Yeah. As a fielder, would you rather play defense for a guy like Maddox? We know the game's going to go fast. I'm going to get it's, my it's share pred- of opportunities, or yeah. I'm going to sit there and and watch the game as Randy is going to throw a lot of pitches, and he's going to be a ton of strikeouts. Maybe not a lot of action for me. Is it easier to stay focused it's, when you know, hey, the ball's probably coming my way? No, no, not at that level. And I was so I was so in tune defensively then. Because I took, you know, I came up the ladder as an offensive second baseman, and that pissed me off. I said, "What? I'm really good on defense, and I worked my butt off. So I liked playing defense, especially when I wasn't hitting. You know, my attitude was, well, I'm not getting any hits, and they're definitely not going to get any. So I had that approach. I didn't really care who was pitching. Um, You know, when you brought up my dad earlier about, yeah, we just raised the strikes. Well, first of all, you need to have a pitcher that can do that, and you got to rely on him. It's easy to pound somebody in. But if you pound him in and you miss a foot off the plate, that's doing nobody any good. That's just a ball that he's not going to think about swinging at. Yep. If you can miss off the plate an inch or two, get him to flinch. Now those are the guys, and I know he's going to put it there. I knew when Maddox, they called for a fastball away. I knew 99.9% of the time it's going to be a fastball away. With other guys, you don't know. It could be a fastball down and away, and it could be up and in because these guys don't – some guys it might be a bad night for them. Uh, Maddox was always predictable, and I knew when when he was aiming yep. somewhere, it was going to be within that little square inch. Um, so that made it nice as a defender because I could. It was easy for me to defend, and I, now I got to take into consideration the pitch, the hitter, his tendencies that I played usually against for a long time. So I knew, um, and it was pretty easy to defense um, with a guy like that pitching, uh, except for Tony. Gwyn's the only one that I could not figure about. And, uh, you know, some of my best years were in Cincinnati defensively. And I, you know, when I came to the Padres in, in 2000, you know, he was a teammate of mine. 
I said, Tony, don't, don't BS me. I know, you know, you're a great hitter. So you want to be this eccentric, weird philosophy on how you hit. And we just have to accept it because you got seven batting titles. I said, did you look at where I was defending you? He said, absolutely. And he's the only guy I believe. Yeah. Because as a hitter, man, hitting was hard. And I had to work so hard at it. The last thing on earth I'm thinking is looking at my defense and hitting it where they're not. I'm thinking, just get me a get a good pitch out over the plate and hit this thing as hard as you can somewhere. Mm-hmm. Tony said he used to actually look at where I defended him, and if I was shading him in the hole, he'd hit it up the middle. And he's the only guy I actually believed in. Yeah, because he used to he used to put me into fits. I'd shade him up the middle, and then I'd deke him, and I'd pretend like I was in the hole, but I was really shading him up the middle. And it's like he he read me, uh, but he was the one guy that really gave me fits defensively. I am a uh, I'm a guy who loves adrenaline, and I love talking to athletes about adrenaline that the common fan wouldn't get to experience. So, Brett, I'll ask you. I'll, I'll preface it this way: Dave and I have talked to fighters about what it's like when they walk to the ring by themselves sure. in that feeling. We've talked to wide receivers about the feeling of a pass coming to them or a defensive back of getting beat on a big touchdown, what that's like. For you as a baseball player, if there was something that you say to the average fan, man, I would love you to feel the adrenaline. I'll ask you one of two ways. Could it be the feeling of a ground ball coming to you at second, or would it be much more the feeling of whatever you wanted to be at the plate? Which one would you say Man, if we could do the virtual reality and you as a fan could live in the moment doing this, what would your answer be? Well, I'd pick two things. It would be a ninth inning tie game. And I had this most of my career, you know, as, as coaches, as managers, we have to trust our middle infield. Once you have ultimate trust in the middle infield with the bases loaded and one out in yeah. the ninth. Yeah. And you give it to your middle infield saying, no, we're not playing in. We're going to roll whatever nice that was my biggest time and usually it was uh you know i worked with larkin for five years yeah and not one time did they ever bring us in they said put it in their hands and uh that was the biggest thing for me was getting that huge double play maybe to press the game on or if we were up by one yeah to end the game on a double play with the bases loaded when i had to yeah it's like whatever happens here i have to turn that double play that was huge for me and I'd have to say hitting a hitting a ball out the opposite way and knowing it's gone. Yeah. That would be right there. Do you as know a rival. From, do you know from the sound or how uh, you can feel it. You can just feel it, right? I can feel it. That's awesome. You know, one thing about coaching with Brett that he said to the kids, because the kids have asked him, how do I feel this ball? And and I listened because I was at my way of teaching it, but I've never won a gold glove like Brett. So I always want to hear what his answer is. He says there's no such thing as a bad hop. You create every hop you get. You know, when, when you take enough ground oh, balls yeah. and you practice, no such thing. So, for instance, we have the Padre game going on right now as we're doing the podcast. Watching the Padres take on the Dodgers, I think it was a week ago tonight, and Villanueva for yeah. for the Padres in the in the first inning, he tr- he misjudges a hop. He, it was a weak attempt backhand, and boom, it led to three runs. Game was basically over in the first just because. Uh, I think a, I was there. 
Okay, you were at, yeah, the, I was game? at the game. Yeah. And, and and yeah, as bad as Red it's Hot, la- it's lazy feet. It, it it it's it was lazy, and it was it frustrates me because as a, as a fan and, and a guy that played you know just in high school baseball. I remember my defense more than I remember my offense. I love the defensive part. I love the fact that you won gold gloves. You said you worked on it. You don't want to be known as just an offensive second baseman. You put a lot of time. Tony put a ton of yeah. time into becoming a gold glove outfielder. So when you see somebody that, that's lazy at it, as a fan, it bothers me because we all know there's a way of doing it. And listening back to what you said, you create all your hops. There's no such thing as, as, a, as a better Right. Hop. Well, it's the layman's term that someone will use. Well, he's got great hands. Well, that, that's the right thing to say, isn't it? Because yeah. everybody says it. It's yeah. just like, oh, he's trying to pull everything. Oh, you don't think he's fooled on a breaking ball, and that's why he's rolling over? <laughs> no, he's, I'm in a slump. I'm going to try to pull everything. Yeah. But it's the catchphrase that it's safe for, for a commentator to just throw that out there because that's got to be right because everybody else says it. It's a bunch of crap. Just like great hands. No, we all yeah. have great hands. If you're in the big leagues. Right. Of course, there's 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 elite level hands, sure. but everybody out there's got really good hands, and the guy that have the great the guys that have the great feet are the best defenders, the guys that anticipate the hop before, right as that ball's hit, those are the ones. If you you know, and I I, I tell this to the kids all the time. You give me ten professional infielders, mm-hmm. professional middle infielders, and I hit them a hundred balls. Who's gonna the guy that gets ninety five good hops? I don't care who it is, a gold Ozzy Smith or a utility player. You give them 95 good hops, they're going to make 95 plays. Mm-hmm. But it's the guys uh, like Omar Vizquel. He'll get 100 balls hit to him. He gets 95 good hops. And then he's really good, so the five bad hops, he's probably going to make four of those plays. Yeah. The average guy is going to get 100 ground balls, and it's going to get 80 good hops. So he's going to make 80 plays mm-hmm. and then out of the 20 is probably going to kick five or six there's your elite versus average big league guy yeah is the guys that create the good hop it could be a step back and a good hop could be a step forward but you get and that's just years of sitting out there during batting practice game speed yeah and taking ground balls and then after a while it becomes second nature you don't have to think about it i can have my hand on my hips when the ball's in the hitting zone i'm bouncing and boom okay there's yeah. a move angle i take to the ball you know, at second base, why go out in the center field with nobody on, nobody out, and make a great diving play? I can't throw them out anyway. Yeah. So I don't want to take that angle. I want to take a more risky angle because that's the only angle I can throw them out at first anyway. So I'd rather the ball go through, take the, the tough, challenging angle, than take that tired angle, make a great diving play, and the fans in the stands that really aren't watching, oh, great stop. Well, it's yeah. an irrelevant stop. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's a play I need to make when there's a runner on second, so he can't score on a base hit. I got to knock it down. But that's two different, two different scenarios. Here's what makes me crazy, and this is why I love Brett. I say it all the time, and I've said it to to so many guys in different sports. We can watch ten thousand baseball games. You see a different game than we see. So for us as a fan to just kind of listen, sit back, and kind of hear to hear it. It's a blast because you go, yeah, I like that. And tomorrow, I like to, my my goal is when you go away, go. I never thought about it like that. exactly, but it's great. And most people don't think about it that way. That's what makes it fun. And so that's why, why I'm here to educate. Well, <laughs> no, but I mean, we love having you here. I went back after we saw you the last time, and I watched the clip because I saw the snippet in the book, Brett's book, which was great, talking about uh, the night you were in the booth when Aaron hit the home run. And I thought that clip on YouTube, you can go find it. It's so great as a parent of two boys, as a guy who has an older brother. You just watch it. I just love it, man. It's all about family in that clip. 
But you lay it out in layman's terms, and when you flip around, if you have the baseball package, there are so few guys that do that. Why aren't you in a booth? Is do you would you like to do that? Well, at this I'll, stage I'll tell you what. Life? I took. Are you talking about when Aaron hit the home run? Yeah, and I didn't say anything. I I know, but but the the guy in the booth for Fox did an insanely good job of cutting sure. to you and watching you soak in the moment. You didn't have to say anything. The whole your whole body language. I'll tell you, it, said it, everything. That was all real right there. Oh yeah, and, and I remember the Fox guy in my ear. You know, I don't know if we covered this before on the show. But I remember, you know, that was my first time ever in a booth. And that was hard. Yeah. Because I was a current player. True. So I know you have to walk that fine line up there. You got to keep the respect of the audience at the same time. I've got a face page rolling about four months at spring trading. <laughs> and I know he's watching me right now. So I got to watch what I say there. So yeah. as a current player, it's really tough to be critical. Um, that was all natural right there. And I remember he hit the home run. I couldn't believe because he was so bad that series. Yeah. And we had that big talk the night before where it was Big Brother coming in, and I was just trying to pump him up. And he was down, and mm. you could see it. And I'd been there before, and I just kind of gave him a rah-rah, hey, tomorrow's a new day, man, and nobody's going give to a, give a rip what happens, uh, what has happened the previous six yeah. games. If you turn a big double play, if you hit a sack fly to put him ahead, mm -hmm. this series is gone. As long as you guys advance, nobody's gonna remember this. And then he hit, the, and then he wasn't playing that game. Yeah, and it was a pinch hit. And I remember in my mind thinking, you know what? He can't hit <laughs> a regular pitcher right now. No. So maybe this wiffle ball, knuckleball is the best thing oh, that he yeah. could be facing. I didn't think what happened next. I didn't think that was gonna happen. Sure, but he hit it, and I just went, oh my goodness. Last night, he was as down as can be. I am so – I got chills. It was great. And I was so happy as a brother yeah. to, to see that. And I just – I froze. And I remember the fox, you know, the guys down in the truck mm -hmm. going, Brett, what are you doing? You got to say something. And I didn't have anything to say. And they said, no, no, that's great. Less is more. Less is more. And yeah. that's just how it played out. And that was the real thing. It's awesome. I hear stuff, you know, I heard, I think, on Howard Stern, uh, Joe Buck – had a segment and it was complete fabrication and, and I'm still waiting to, them to call me and we'll set the we'll set the tone of how that really went down what did he say oh I forget <laughs> he said one day he had to discipline me because I wasn't taking you know because these guys do it for a living I was sure. kind of rolling with the punches I'd show up I didn't have eight pages of notes I was just trying to give a current players perspective on things. yes sure uh, by no means was i a professional broadcaster i was there for some insight um and he he kind of had the whole he went through the whole thing no it was quite comical actually yeah but you it know, was a facade you know what's interesting about for me about aaron hitting that that home run in 2003 was remember watching with my oldest son watching the game and he goes who's going to be the hero tonight and i said in these games josh i go it's going to be someone we least expect and i said this is the way it always breaks down and then Aaron ends up hitting it. Well, I, I, I've been to, to Brett's house. Brett has so much great stuff as far as mm. silver sluggers and gold gloves and jerseys. He doesn't put anything out. He doesn't. He's not one of those guys that you walk into Mike Piazza's house. The first thing you see is his 1996 All Star Game MVP trophy. As soon as you open the door, I wonder if each you know? has got his MVP trophy <laughs> when you walk in. It's my trophy. I know it is. <laughs> we'll get it. I'm kidding, each bro. <laughs> but it really is. We'll, we'll get to that one, one second. But Jeff has twin boys. You have twin boys. We talked yeah. about the brother thing all the time 
And then as I've gotten to know you and, and being around your dad and your family and Aaron come watch your older son and Arizona weed coach, just the best family. But yeah. when you walk into Brett's house, first time I ever walked in his house, first thing you see, remember all his stuff is put away is a picture of Aaron framed on the wall hitting that home run. I thought it wow. was cool as could be that, you know, the, the love for brothers that you, you honor your brother that way. And that was before he was manager of the Yankees. That, that moment was, was big in the family, that, the baseball bef- family. That's before I was Aaron Boone's brother. <laughs> oh, my God. Hold on. I got to tell you the story. Someone walked up to Brett when I was with him and yeah. said, are you Aaron Boone's brother? He turned and looked at me like, that might be the first time. You know what your credentials are. Your credentials <laughs> oh, in the big st- I remember but looking at this little kid. I said, did you say what I think you just said? <laughs> And I yeah. was kind of taken aback, but at the same time, no, of course. You know, I retired yeah. 11 years ago, and Aaron's managing the Yankees now. Yeah. I, I said, you know what? And it ain't a bad thing being no but, way. But, but for today, I'll be Aaron Boone's yeah, brother. What do you today. need? Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think we know Brett's credentials. They speak for themselves. One other thing we've seen. Wait, and, are you going to ask him about Ichiro? Well, I'll get to Ichiro okay. in a minute. But but we saw what the – I mean, you talked about the Donaldson situation. How about also right after the start, on the same day as the Padres-Yankees, bench-clearing brawl. Did you ever go to the mound in your career? Did you ever go out I after? I did the minor anybody? leagues. Who'd you go after? Pedro. There you Ran go. Ran center field. And, Fight that little shit. Yeah. You, uh, other than that, I never, I never personally went to the mound. I was in several you know, bench-clearing yeah. brawls, but I never physically went to the mound in the big leagues. Um do you feel like you'd been thrown at a few yeah, times? Yeah, but not many times. Okay. You know, I got hit a lot, um, and, and that's part of the game, too. It's, you know, I'll be I'll be playing defense, and, and a pitcher will maybe he's having a rough night, and he gives up back-to-back home runs, and then he hits the next guy, and I'm just sitting there going, you, you know what? Why did yeah. you got to do that? Now I'm going to get hit, or somebody's yeah. going to get hit. In those situations, sure, I've been hit numerous times. But it, I didn't have a problem with that pitcher. Okay. Because I'm thinking he's got his guys back, just like I expect my guys to yeah, my yeah, back. Yeah. So he's doing what he's got to do. He's got nothing personal towards me. Just going, you got to go down. Don't hit me in the head. Because, right. Or in the wrist, right? He, wrist, hands. Aren't that right. a big deal it's for just theirs? kind of the middle of the body and boom, hip, back, whatever. It's That's the classy way to do it. And I never got angry at that. I'd sure. get more angry maybe at my relief pitcher that, that caused the ruckus to come to me. Yeah. And I really didn't get mad. Uh, Roger Clemens. Hit me in the head on purpose, for sure, but it was my third game in the big leagues. Wow. And I remember laying in the dirt, and I didn't know what to do. I said, I got to go get him. <laughs> but I'm ju- I am just got here, and can I really charge Clemens my third game? <laughs> yeah. And we ended up just having words the whole way around the bases. And uh, But that's the only time I really remember getting hit where I was really pissed. Yeah. And I was in the right. Uh, sometimes I would get frustrated with a guy that hit me. But you can tell when it comes out of a pitcher's hands, I know if he's trying to just square me up yeah. or he's coming in, which they did to me a lot in my career. Sure. And that ball just got away from him. There's a different look to both pitches coming out of the hand. So I kind of knew when I was getting hit on purpose. And usually it was for a retaliation for something we did. So yeah. I, I, I was, you know, as far as I was concerned, as soon as I got hit, boom, yeah, nobody likes to get hit, but yeah. it's over with and we can move on now. And the same thing happens. You know, I love when. When somebody gets hit and it's so obvious that they hit him on purpose, and then somebody goes down on the other team and he just puts the bat down and say it's over, yeah, and he goes to first. I think I saw it recently this year um, in an Oriole game. Uh, Davis, I think, got drilled his retaliation. He put his bat down, 
didn't even look knew, at the picture, was and ran on. it first, and it was over. You that's the talk, way you handle things. You yeah. ever talk to Clemens uh, about it? You, you ever have a conversation yeah, about what, I'll what, tell what you what, I waited uh, years and years. I'm like, if I ever get that. <laughs> and I took him deep in, uh, in Yankee Stadium, and it was I hit it really far. And when I followed through, first time in my career, only time, the bat hit my helmet and knocked my helmet off. Oh, wow. So I couldn't go into a huge bat flip. I felt so stupid because I didn't have my helmet on. And I ran out of the box, and the and the helmet's laying in the box. And I'm thinking, uh, do I go put the helmet yeah. on? Mm-hmm. And I just said, nope. And I ran around the bases with my helmet off. And I felt so stupid for having my – and he sent me over a note saying, tell Boone to keep his helmet on. But he was kidding. He yeah. knew that, you know. And I just kind of gave him a sarcastic thing back. Um, I, me and Roger kind of made up for it because that stayed with me for a while. And um, and an All-Star game, I think, in 2003, Roger asked me to sign some stuff for his kids. Oh, really? That's so cool, we kind of made amends and uh, went on. with. Well, obviously, his career speaks for itself, what he did. But uh, as a rookie, he was trying to show me who was boss. And, and as players – I don't care. You're not going to intimidate me by throwing in on me. I'm going to hang out over that plate, and if you drill me, you drill me. I'm 0 for 0. I'm going to first. Just don't hit me in the head, like you said. Um, so When you broke into the big leagues, how often were you talking to your dad? Like, you know, the first – how often were we having conversations? How often is Aaron having conversations with your dad about what's going on? Well, that me and, me and uh, both of us have real good relationships, father-son, but Aaron's – I would say Aaron and my dad are talking once or twice a week. Okay. Because he's more, he might be leaning on dad because, you know, dad managed for six yeah, years. Yeah, of course. Um, and I'll talk to him maybe once a week. So I'd say now my dad and him talk more. As players, I talk to him probably my dad three, four times a week where Aaron was more of the, I don't know, that relationship between father, son. Um Aaron was kind of the father-son. No, don't tell me how to do it. Where I was more, I would separate the father-son. Tell me everything you know. Hmm. Right, because he didn't treat me as dad giving kid advice. He treated me as dad coach giving player advice. And he was excellent at separating that with me, and and I embraced it. I didn't take it as, you know, when your dad gets on you after a while, like, shut up, dad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and in real life, I say that all the time. Yeah. But when we decide, you know, I'm struggling a little bit. My dad was really good with my particular swing. So when we go into that cage for a game, there was no father-son. It was coach, player. And he treated me like a player. He didn't treat me like my son. Now, after the game, we can go have dinner, and now we're father-son again. Yeah. But we were real good at separating that. I think him and Aaron weren't that great at separating that. So as a, as a player, I think Aaron didn't uh, – definitely our relationship wasn't the same. But as now being a manager, I think he leans on dad for a lot. Good, funny, Brett. You see – you look at the game right now, and you feel like in the media – or amongst fans, everybody. There's always talk about everything that's wrong with the game. Last night, uh, 15 strikeouts for the Padres, and you see this article that comes out today about the insane amount of strikeouts and how terrible it is. The length of the game is terrible. There had been talk that you need to change the rules, whether Rich Eisen was telling the truth or not. He said that he had been told that there was an idea floated that if you were losing... Oh. In the ninth inning, you'd be able to use your best players. You're a guy who played the game. You're a That's guy who ridiculous. You're a guy who loves the game, 
as we sit here today with analytics coming in and launch angle and everything else is the game that we loved that we grew up with you grew up as a player we grew up loving playing and at a certain level became fans feels to me like it's still the game you still love it is it still well, the, the same the or has it gotten worse and i can't get over it it's this length of game thing yeah if you go to a game and it's a great game, I didn't hear any. I, no. I never hear anybody saying, "Boy, that was fifteen minutes too long." Yeah. Or if you go to a great movie and it's two hours and fifty minutes, it's either a great movie or it's not. Yeah. If it's a bad movie. It's too long. It's yeah. good. If it's a great movie, you don't know how long it took. I I, I don't understand the infatuation with time of game. Uh, the most ridiculous thing I've he ever heard of was the fake third throw to first. We're going to take that out of the game. Well, what does that take? 15 seconds about yeah. once every four games it happens yeah um so i think i think the game is evolving i think there are positive things going in the game i think uh bud Seeley did a great job with the parody i think there's a lot of mm -hmm. teams every year that can win um but the little you know the the automatic walk i don't like that because mm -hmm. a couple times a year as many games are played there's going to be a deciding game on that intentional walk that gets yeah. away from the catcher so yeah it only happens with big league pitchers and catchers 99.999 out of out of 100 of course they're going to throw it right to the catcher but that one or two times a year which changes a game when they get the yips yeah I, you know this this middle infield yeah I, and i had a big controversy with this i worked with oakland a couple of years ago and i'd work strictly with the young minor league guys the mm -hmm. prospects and and we'd come out one day and we had tagging practice and i taught them how to tag mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden they changed the rules so now you can have the super slow-mo so if a guy's out by 10 feet I've got to keep my tag and physically touch his foot when he's coming in full bore. Yeah. I mean, that's how you get hurt. And, and in my day, boom, you get the tag in, show it to the umpire, you're on your way. Yeah. Now you can't have a little bit of a phantom tag. Um, turning two is, man, I got to stay man. anchored to that base. That's how you get hurt. Yeah. And they had that bench clearing brawl. And they're putting it on the players, so the players have to do it. When, when he's coming in a second, he's still going to come in as hard as he can. Mm -hmm. Slide, safe, clean. But sometimes your foot comes off the base. You didn't mean that, you know, barely spike the guy a little bit, but it happens. Yeah. Now all of a sudden we're having this uproar like somebody yeah. shot, shot a family member. It's like, no, we just came off the bag a little bit. But the game is creating that with the players because now it's as a second baseman, I think, well, now I'm protected. Because I have to stay on the base, so he's not allowed to slide into me. Well, sometimes he does. He doesn't mean to. Yeah. But we can't be nitpicky like that. I think that's changing the game in a negative way. Uh, I think the instant replays for some things are good. I think a bang-bang play at first mm -hmm. that decides the game, I think it's great they replay it. I think the home runs down the line in a big situation, I think it's great that they get it right. Uh, but the little things, you know, that, you know, they had that fiasco with the catcher and you can't be in the, the catchers are sitting there going their whole life. They're trained one way. Yeah. And now they don't really, nobody really knows what the rules are and it's all up to the umpire and he doesn't know what to call. So I think that was a fiasco. Um, so I think less you change at this game, it's been around a long time for a reason. I think the less you change, the better, but I think you, you've also got to be a realist and know it's 2018 and with the technological advances we've had and everything in the game, of course, if, if we can add technology and make our game better worldwide, I think that's going to be nothing but a positive thing. And I think that's true of anything in all sports. It transcends sports. Um, but the nitpicky thing, it's like... You know, the catcher's going to the mound. <laughs> I, yeah. The other day I was there, and 
I forget somebody asked me, a fan came up to me and said, what's, is it MVP? I know, I mean. The, yeah, the it's on the, the board. Mouth. Yeah, it's on the board now. And I'm looking at it, and I swear for the for the life of me, I'm sitting there, I got to have the answer to this. And I had no clue what it meant. Yeah. And then somebody came and told me, I said, oh, of course. <laughs> the trips yeah. to the mound. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I just think trying to speed up the game, why? Great movie. We don't know the length. Great game. We don't know the length. And now what it takes to take your family yeah. to a game and yeah. the price is the way it is. It's like, don't you want to enjoy it and be there as long as you can? I always felt that way as a kid. I, I, it I seems like, let's have an hour and 45 minute yeah. game and get out of here and get to the, yeah. you know, get and be home. miserable again. It's like, <laughs> Why enjoy a night out at the, the ballpark? The game's great. I mean, yeah. and as a player, it's probably the last thing on earth I'd want to do as a manager, as a coach, is now they do the in-game interview uh, in a four to three game in the world yeah. series and it's like all right <laughs> all the emotions that must be going through the manager now i'm gonna sit and have a little candid talk here that being said the reason the game is thriving and these guys are able to make the kind of money they're making is for things like that i think as a fan as an outsider i think it's really cool yeah. that in game six i can talk to francona yeah i can see what he has to say mid-game in the heat of it i think as a fan's perspective i think that's awesome yeah. And I think as players and as managers and as coaches, we have to understand that. So once was taboo, don't ever put a mic on me during the game. It's like the reason the game is the way it is and now we are so yeah. fortunate to be making the money we're making is because of stuff like this. So I think you've got to make an exception and be willing to do stuff like that. You say something interesting, and it's funny. Brett will say to, to the young kids, Jeff, we're coaching 14 U teams, he'll say – there's nothing better than playing baseball at this age. Then they'll, yeah. they'll turn to me and say, look, there's nothing like playing in the big leagues. Yeah, right. Okay, that being said, Anthony Rizzo came out last week and made a comment saying, the games are too many games. we got to cut the games down. We play 30 more games we need to play. we got to cut it down. You mentioned you're playing a game. You talk about the amount of money, everything, the lifestyle, everything that sure. goes into being a major leaguer. Jeff and I would love to have had the chance to, to play in major league baseball. When you hear a guy say that, and even if you might think it, he can't ever say that. Am I right? I don't think so. I mean, the only thing I ever said – and, and, and it didn't matter what I said anyway, because it's not going to change. Yeah. But I thought, you know, for the position players, spring training gets a little long. I mean, pitchers need more time. Mm -hmm. They do. Um, but for us as players to play 30 games and then 160 and then postseason, if you're lucky enough, that's the thing I was always saying is shorten spring training a little bit. The games yeah. that don't count. But then again, Florida, Arizona, their economy depends on those games. Sure. So I, I'm not sitting there saying you have to cut it down. You know, when you look at the big picture, it's like, no, Florida's been depending on this revenue since the game started, and so is Arizona. So I understand, and I think the managers nowadays realize how rigorous the schedule is and really manage the spring training and give the guys they know are going to be there for 162, giving them ample rest and getting them ready. And a lot of times, to the veteran players especially, giving them kind of free reign is, hey, you let me know how much yeah. you need before you you feel like you're there. And you know as a player when you're there. doesn't mean I got four hits today, but it was I was on time. When that ball was in the zone, okay, I got it. Finally, my timing's there. And for me, it usually took a couple weeks, two or three weeks. But when I got there, it's like, all right, I'm ready to go. And spring, can we end spring training right now and get started? Because I feel good. But um, I don't think they – I don't know. It, it, it's all. It's also like – we're going to go play these games in Puerto Rico. We're going to yeah. we're going to open the series in Japan. Well, from a player's perspective, you're going, the last thing on earth I want to do yeah. is fly to Japan, right? get on this wacky time schedule, and then yeah. have to start a big league season. But if you step outside the box and think, this is great for baseball. 
Yeah. Think how excited the people in Japan are that you're coming. The Yankees in Boston are going to open their series in yeah. Japan. That's the greatest PR you can do for our game possible. So I think as a player currently, I would welcome stuff like that. Whatever you can do to grow the game, to make this game better, bigger, bigger audience, yeah. I think you I think you you really lend yourself to to do whatever you can because it's you're going to be gone one day. Yeah. And all I love to see is things I see in the game that make it more interesting. And goofy things as players that we could give a crap about yeah. you know it's like oh we got the we got the first we got a camera in the first base bag great <laughs> yeah <who laughs> you know cares? i want to kick dirt on it but yeah. as a fan sitting at home i think it's really cool for them to see that perspective i think it does nothing but like i said it's free pr you know give away <laughs> and i see these all the time it, um i remember when i was coming up in cincinnati and marge shot was a stickler it's <laughs> like for me to get another dozen bats, I had to turn in dozen crack bats. I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. What am yeah. I in rookie ball? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I came to find out, and I think most of the franchises and organizations are embracing this: is the best PR you can do is take a baseball, sign it, and throw it in the stands. Right. Yep. It's the biggest yeah. PR thing. You know that kid that comes out; he might only get to come to one, two games a year. He gets a ball. We've oh, yeah. been talking about that for years. They said it last night. Glenn Hoffman just flipped a ball, and I heard Ted say it it's last night. He said that, that kid will remember it for the rest of his life, and you think about yeah. it, and you go, that. I want to ask you, Brett, because you talked about the schedule, and one thing I always look at, and I've never heard really a player talk about it, is so many of us, especially as guys, we're creatures of habit, and you get up at the same time, the, the everyday Joe, and you're at work at 8, and you go to lunch at noon, you're back at 1, you leave at 5, and that's your, your work week. But if you look at the typical major league schedule for a week, you're going to see a game at 7 o'clock, and then the next day maybe 5.40, and then it could be a 3.40, and then a 1 o'clock, and then you're back at 7. As you're out playing a physical game and you're trying to get, A, your rest, you're trying to get your workouts in, you're trying to get your film time in, and all the other stress that goes with being a major league player, when you look at those staggered starts, because when we were kids – Games were 7 o'clock during the week through Saturday night, and they were 1 o'clock on Sunday. But now it's 12, and it's 5, and it's 7. How much of a challenge is that for a player? Is it, is it a challenge or not really that bad? Oh, I bad? think it's a big challenge. Um, first of all, as, lo as long as the schedule is, is equal yeah. for everybody, it's not going to be an advantage or disadvantage for a particular team. That's why I always said, and they proved me wrong, but I always said it's, really, it's much harder for the Cubs Mm. to win a World Series than it is for anybody else. And there was a reason for 100 years they didn't. It's because that day game, they, they played probably, I don't know what the percentages are, but a lot more percentage-wise day games than the other players. Sure. That's hard because we're, we're programmed as players to play at night. We mm -hmm. play at 7. We know on Sunday we get a day game, but the rest of the nights we're planning on 7 o'clock games. So we get into a pattern, sleep patterns, like you mm -hmm. say, our eating pro patterns how we prepare for a game and to have a game at one and the next day be flying somewhere else and have a game at four in the afternoon it's you're all discombobulated like i said as long as it's equal i think in the end it's all going to even out and be it's the same for everybody else okay you know it's like when it's cold out well yeah, it's right. cold for their hitters too yeah so there's no disadvantage True. for you there's a disadvantage for the hitter in general but not one over the other makes sense yeah. um to be honest with you, all position players care about is don't start at five, don't start at six. Because the, the sun's sun, still out yeah. and you're going to have shadows you're not going to be able to see as good. So mm -hmm. we like predictable 
situations. I like a game in a controlled environment. Yeah. I love playing games in domes oh, because yeah. I know there's no wind. There's not yeah. going to be a wind factor. So everything's going to play exactly normal. You go to Wrigley on a wind blowing in day. I don't like that because yeah. the ball isn't going anywhere when it's blowing out. Yeah, I like that, but I'd prefer the controlled environment. You know, as a, as a baseball player that played with a couple different organizations, you move around. It always seems like if I had my choice, I'd want spring training in Arizona because the, the fields are closer together. Without a doubt. And then uh, I, being in Seattle, where you played a lot of your career in Seattle, it seems like the travel is extremely tough in Seattle. No matter where you fly, your flights are going to be longer than almost everybody else. It, was that something well, as, it's a, as a player? Catch-22 in Seattle. Believe me, I've, I've gone over all this. Yeah, that's what I asked. <laughs> as a young player, you don't care because you're young and you care less. And you're just glad you're in the big leagues. You're trying to do good and you're trying to show people you belong here. Um. I really noticed a difference as I got older when I played in Atlanta, hot. Mm. You know, when I go to Arlington in the middle of the summer, it's like I wouldn't even come out for batting practice. Uh, I'd hit in the cage because it was so hot and it takes so much out of you. Yeah. So um, the thing about Seattle is, yes, worst travel in the game, most miles, but the climate is the best in the game mm. because it's never too hot and it's really never freezing. I mean, yeah. at the beginning of the year, you might have a couple games that are 50 degrees, 48 degrees, and they got the retractable roof. That doesn't make you warmer, but it cuts out the elements of the rain and stuff. Um, but in the middle of the summer, we're not burning up. I mean, it's 78 degrees and nice. Yeah. And, and so I think, like, if you go to Arlington, that serious heat every day, that takes a toll on your body. Being in Atlanta, you know, back in the day when it was all that old artificial turf, we play in Cincinnati. It's 132 on the turf. You know, it's like you're you're sticking your foot, yeah. your feet in, in in buckets of ice in between innings. So that takes a toll on your body. The, the the negative, once again, the negative was yes, we flew more than anybody else, but our climate was great. Didn't beat up on your body. What do you make of Shohei Otani? <sighs> wow, I, I think it remains to be seen. But uh, you know, for, I, I haven't seen him much. Yeah. You know, I've caught a few here and there. Uh, from a physical standpoint, impressive. Yeah. You know, just the physical, you know, how he how he looks. Yeah, right. You know, he looks like a specimen. Yeah. Um, the fact that in the first 10 days of the season, yeah. he hits three homers and pitches two great games. Uh, once again, you're going back to Babe Ruth stuff. No right? one's ever done it before. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've seen some great, really good hitting pitchers. They're not going to go deep three times in the first yeah. 10 games of the season. That's not going to happen. Um, so I think you're looking at a, a, a phenomenon. Pretty potentially. Cool, yeah. Uh, and I think he's, he's in the perfect spot. I mean, he's in Anaheim. What a great place to play. And I think he's got a veteran, veteran manager in Socia who's really probably had a plan and going to execute that plan um, to the best – it, it, sometimes Otani's probably, I want to play more, I want to hit yeah. more. But I think if they stick to the plan to get the most out of bottom line is this. You give me a number one legit starter yeah. and a number one three-hole hitter, yeah. I'll take the starter every time. Sure. So if he proves over time that he is really that number one guy, I think you're going to see him pitching. That's going to be the priority Yeah. over hitting. But if they manage it right, you can get the best of both worlds. And like I said, time will tell. I mean, it's too early. But what he's done early is pretty impressive. I think the, it's like it's Babe Ruth stuff. And, Brett, at the age of 23, to show the demeanor, the professionalism, where it doesn't seem like the stage is too big for him, he seems like a guy 
in the limited things that we've seen that he's out having fun playing the game well, that he loves. Yeah, and I think I think that's you know he's twenty three, but he's really not twenty three because he's played because, the bigs? because he's been he's a rock star in Japan. Sure. So he's already been on that stage. You yeah. know, it's like the young actress you see when they're fourteen and they do an interview and you're like, How Whoa. can she speak yeah. like that? Well, <laughs> yeah. she's lived a different life than everybody True. else. Um, so I think he yeah he hasn't been on a big league stage. But in Japan, you know, that's a pretty big stage baseball-wise. They're crazy about their baseball. And especially being him, you know, I, I, I just know the phenomenon when Ichiro came over. Ichiro is like Elvis Presley. Hell and, of a player. And, and not too many people ever know that level of fame. And I think Otani was so big over there. Yeah. Such an icon. Probably couldn't go out of his place without paparazzi pictures all the time. So he's already knows what it's like to be that level of celebrity. Yeah. And now he's on a big league field where, and I know their culture. It's... You better do good. Yeah. And you better, you got to save face. So I, he's well aware of that. Uh, but I think he's, he's wise beyond his years for his Yeah, life. it sure looks it's like, it's kind of like a Bryce Harper when he came up. Yeah. Like this guy's really 19 years old. How old was Trout too? Trout. Struck, 19. Yeah. Right. These are freaks in nature. These are Ken yeah. Griffey juniors. Yeah. Uh, once in a lifetime guys. Speaking of each road, you were in Seattle twice. One time you were there with, with Griffey and then you came back and then, you were there when the Ichiro thing just, just took off like crazy. You're talking about the amount of media, the type of player he was, the type of person he was. It was kind of interesting because you guys won, I think, 116 games. Everybody's talking about Seattle in 2001. But then you're having such a great year, but Ichiro's getting all this media attention. How did that 2001 season break down? Well, I think, once again, I, I look first and foremost of what did he do for the game? He basically put us on the map. I mean, we were the Japan basically the Seattle Mariners were Japan's team. Yeah. So we had an entire country that was our team, not only Seattle and Portland and, and uh, Idaho, you know, whatever's in that little Northwest, but we also had Japan because I'm sure in Tokyo, we were on the big screen mm -hmm. every night. So from, from uh, bringing awareness to the game, Ichiro was unbelievable with the amount of press he brought in the interest worldwide uh, so I thought that was a very good thing. I think the only other person that kind of paved the road, and I watched it, you know, as an opponent, was uh, Hideo Nomo, who was the first mm -hmm. and probably most accomplished Japanese pitcher ever. You know, he dominated early, had yeah. some rough starts, but kept going and finished up to have some good years. So I think he was the first one, but then Ichiro was the first position player that kind of brought it to a different level. And I think Ichiro, just from what I hear, I don't know, I've never been over to Japan, but just what I hear through – the interpreters and all that stuff. They said there's when Ichiro came over. They said there's never been anyone like Ichiro in Japan. You know, maybe Sadahara O, but they said in modern day, no one's even close to what Ichiro is. So he brought that level of interest. Um, that first year, it, it was fun. He, he's he's a very charismatic guy. He's funny. Speaks more English than you think. Um, so we had a real good time. As far as personally with it, with him winning the MVP, and I didn't get it. Uh, I've learned throughout my life is is you can't in my career is it's people are lying to you like I don't play it for the gold gloves or I don't play mm. but we want to win them <laughs> yeah I understand yeah. you know I it's like yeah I don't I don't care how many all-star appearances I make but I kind of would like to have a couple more that I should have made but that's the game and those are things that are out of our control as players um three years I should have won the gold glove I didn't there was a year I can remember I didn't think I deserved a gold glove, and I won it. So 2001, uh, you wore the team MVP. Yes. Who votes for team MVP? Press. Press does. Yeah. So the people that watched all the games, 
picked you as the Mariners' most valuable player, right. yet the national writers voted Ichiro MVP. It's like I said, it was a, it was a, um, you can't beat that kind of hype. You know, I have no ill will towards anybody. I mean, those, once again, those are things out of my control. You know, I've seen things throughout this game where it's like, that guy so didn't deserve to not make that all-star team. Or how could you not see that he should have won the gold glove there? Um, but I think the way you handle it is you, you don't say anything. You wish your teammate well. Of course I'd like to have that MVP in my house. But there's nothing I can do about it. it like I said, it's out of my control. Each row had a great year and an awesome career. Uh, so that's something that, you know, I, t I, I joke about it and I have a good time with it. And probably if I see him, I'm like, he's still got my trophy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you would have put it in yeah. the garage anyway. But at the end of the day, at the <laughs> end of the day, you know what? It's um, you play this game for one reason. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's about yeah. when you look across that field, you know, I, n I never cared if people liked me. No. But I'll tell you what, at the end of the game, you're going to respect how I play this game. And that's all I care about. And as long as you, as long as the, the people that you play against and play with every day, that's the only respect I was looking for. You know what's funny, though, Brett? And, and I get exactly what you're saying. You know why? Because guys of our generation that watched you play that had an appreciation for what you did offensively and defensively, we're the ones that say, Right, yeah, you know, your credentials tell your story. It's fun to talk to you tonight about Aaron, but we have such an appreciation for what you meant for the game. However, there's a whole new generation of fans that are coming up that didn't have that opportunity to play. That are my kids' age. Your your kids are different, but our kids' age. That all they know is what they see in that Wikipedia bio, mm -hmm. and they may not go back and take a look at the numbers. They're not going to go back and watch. So they're going to see a silver slugger. But as you just mentioned, there's a differential of two gold gloves you just talked about. There were three you should have won. Maybe one you did win. So there's two. And it, it's one of those things where you go, yeah, I'm not an ego guy. But it'd be kind of cool that when people are just doing that quick scan of my career, I kind of felt like I was the guy. There's nothing wrong in saying. I feel like at that particular time in the game, I was the best player. And, yeah, it would be kind of cool to have it on the mantle. And, and the thing is, like I said, of course it would be nice to have sure. more accolades. Um, but my teammates knew. Sure. And the people in the game knew. And sure. Everybody that played against me knew. And that was enough for me. That's it. Um, it. You know, life isn't fair. And my dad told me that since day one. Yeah, right. And there are some people that are born that I'll tell you what, they just got to show up and people are going to just give them awards. And there's going to yeah. be people that are going to beat down the door to get one. And that's life. And, yeah. and it, I'm not saying I was either one of those guys, but I'm just saying in general, you know, you know the guy that has 12 all-stars that sure. half the time was on the DL the first half and got voted in. Yeah. It's like he, he doesn't deserve, you know, that guy on the Pirates that maybe never make another all-star team, he deserved it and he didn't go because he went. Yeah. You know, that's important to me. Uh, I, I, I always liked to. It didn't matter whether I liked you, disliked you, respected you, didn't respect you. There's the thing they, you know, the player's choice. Mm-hmm. And those, I think, are the best awards. And everything should be players because the peers know what's going on on the field yep. the most. And they should be the one voting for everything. But we have players' awards. And I'll tell you, there were guys I didn't care for at all on the field. But at the end of the day, I'm going to vote for the guy that deserves it. Sure. And if he put up the numbers, he might be one of my least favorite players. I'm going to still put him down on the ballot because that's what I have a job to do is keep the integrity of the game. I want to ask you about uh, the San Diego Padre team because everyone in San Diego understands they're going through a period of bad baseball. It's going to be take time. Maybe the the best future players are in the minor leagues, and that's what we're kind of hoping as the people that follow the organization on a regular basis. 
How long does it take once you make it to the minors to get years under your belt to say, okay, you've adapted to the major league game. How many years does it take an average player? How long will it take this organization to gel? What, what time frame should fans be looking at? Well, first of all, I have to have everything in front of me, and I don't. And I don't know their organization. I know what they have on the field right now, but I don't know what they, what they have coming. So, you know, if you just put it in, in natural, like throw, throw the Bryce Harpers, the Trouts, mm-hmm. throw those guys out. They don't count. When you yeah. Throw Griffey out. Yeah. Those are freaks of nature. Um, but the average guy, you know, what I looked at when I was in the minor, when I was working for the A's and I worked with the minor leagues, we had a lot of prospects coming up. A lot of them are in the big leagues now. But if you can get to double A and be competing and doing well when you're 23, you're in good shape. You know, get into the big leagues when you're 24, maybe 25. You know, once you get to 25 and you still haven't established yourself at a double A level, you're starting to go down that road of organizational player. Yeah. You know, it's the same in everything. I, I, the best the best example I have is compare it to golf. You know, you see the rising stars and these young kids that have, have made it really big on the tour. They didn't make it when they were 27. They're all making it when they're 21. It's probably because they yeah. don't know better. And they haven't been they haven't been beaten up enough. Yeah. So they're still confident and have that have that aura you have when you're young. Um, but it's the same thing as minor leagues. You know, these these guys that play the mini tour and now they're 25 and they still haven't even got to the what's the tour right below right below the PGA. Is it the Nike? It used to be the Nike, but now it's the I thought whatever it, it is. Yeah, I'm lost. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. And you haven't made it to even that tour yet. Well, you're probably going into yeah. that, you know, recreational golfer type thing. And the same with the minor league guys. And and when I was there, man, I worked with everybody, try to make each player the best they could be with what the set of tools they had. Um, but some of the guys I'd look at and I'd just be like, man – which this guy would just kind of go get a job yeah. and start okay. life because he has no chance. And some work. guys are, are realists, and they take that approach, usually real real intelligent guys. Or they see the writing on the wall, and they'll make career choices. Um, that being said, it's also very cool when I see a guy break through at 27, 28. He's given his whole life to this game. And I used to laugh when people, oh, the player's overpaid, he's over this. I said, this guy just gave up. 10 years of his life on the road, bus, families here, families there, and he made it. And you're going to say he's overpaid now? He's given up his whole life. So I think I, I love those success stories. They don't happen very often. I had a guy when I was uh, when I was in the minor leagues coming up, and I was 21, 22 years old, and he was 30. His name was Richie Amaral. And he was a really good player. Mm-hmm. He was my shortstop in AAA. And he broke through, and he got, a, you know, he got called up. He did well. He got called up. Ended up being a favor to lose. Got seven, eight years in the big league. Yeah. Stories like that are awesome, uh, but they don't happen too often. What about the guy on the opposite end of the spectrum? Dave and I have a friend. He's 47 years old. Married, he's got a new baby, and he continues to post pictures of himself in baseball uniforms because he's playing on Sundays. <laughs> Brett, we're afraid we may have to do an intervention because well, we care a lot about him. But yeah. <laughs> but there's four there's four people in the bleachers. And, That's called and, unaware. Yeah, and we don't like it because <laughs> he's perfect. a fine he's a fine he's a fine human being. But he, right, it's the guy that goes on the dating site and posts his prom picture <laughs> and says, yeah, I, I, "I'm still that guy." He's still chasing the dream. He's 47. Yeah, it's like at least you know uh, you cheat a couple years. Yeah, let's not cheat 20. <laughs> I, I think the person on the other end is not going to be very happy with you. It's great. 
every time we set him up, we make sure he gets mentioned in every podcast. <laughs> uh, you see yourself back in the game? I do. I do. Yeah. I've got no uh, calendar. I've got no right. it's all right, huh? saying, oh, next year I'm going to do this. or Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm de- I always stay open to everything. Yeah. You know, I'm enjoying right now. You know, I just got to go back to see my son at Princeton as a freshman and see his life, not only yeah. just on the field, but just watching him grow up as a young man and, and dad, I got to get my laundry done and, and study. And, and it's cool for me. He's growing yeah. up. Um, you know, I got to take my daughter out there is about to graduate college in a couple of weeks and her getting to see her brother and them interacting as young adults now. Yeah. Uh, coaching the the little kids with with dave that's that's fun for me just being around and being truly uh a full-time dad yeah is is really been fulfilling for me especially recently um but i definitely have something inside of me i need to be doing something and and, you know the obvious choice for me is baseball just because of my my background and my passion for it it's first love and thing i'm most educated about so um yeah, I can definitely see myself doing that again, and but but there's no timetable. All right, let me there's ask you this. Take it. your dad hat off, because there was a write-up, I think just a couple of weeks ago, about your son Jake, mm-hmm. talking about how he could be the first, fourth-generational player to make it. You've seen plenty of bigs. You just talked about the time you spent with the A's and other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to separate yourself from a father and mm-hmm. just being as a former big leaguer as you scout Jake Boone, what steps does he have to take so he can be that guy? Well, it's weird with Jake. <clears throat> He's very uh, intelligent baseball player, good instincts, uh, better arm than I had, better instincts at shortstop at the same age. Uh, I was much for, farther advanced hitting wise. Um, but I just got back from watching him again. He's getting, you know, he's probably playing eighty percent of the time his freshman year. Got a three point five, and I try to tell wow. him this because he's wow. he's That's crazy he, smart. Kid. He's going, That's Dad. Awesome. He's going, Dad. It's really tough for me right now. I said, Jacob, these are you just keep grinding. I said, by the time I, I it it's weird for me because I watched him go through high school, mm-hmm. and I watched him his freshman year, and then he goes to varsity his sophomore year, and it was really struggle for him to hit, and I think he hit one eighty or something his sophomore year, and fast forward to his senior year he hits 360 yeah. he wins offensive player of, the, of his high school so i see how he makes that adjustment he's off to college right now struggling a little bit with the bat but he uh, did just so you know he did get drafted by the washington nationals he turned it down to go to college yeah when yeah. i look when i look out on the field and i and i take my dad hat off all the time <laughs> cool. sometimes i might say something to him with the dad hat on yeah because he's down and i got to pick my spots but I can always truly evaluate him. I look out on the field right now, definitely going to be drafted in two years. Mm-hmm. The instincts he has, the arm, the defender that he is, and potentially as a hitter, what he has. If he makes that same uh, escalation that he did from his sophomore year to his senior year in high school, I think it's going to be the same thing from his freshman year in college God, to his cool. junior year. Because I, I remember when I went back uh, my freshman year, and nothing with the numbers or the stats or anything like that. I, I know I was a completely different person when I was 18 than when I was 21. Mm-hmm. Physically, emotionally, yeah, sure. mentally. I'd been out on my own. You know, Mom still brought me some dinners up to USC. I was close. Did my laundry a little bit for me. <laughs> but but I had to take care of myself. I had to be a, you know, I had to get the class. I had to, you know, fill all my obligations for baseball. And I grew up a lot as a person. And I think when I was 21 years old, 
I was ready to go. Yeah. Professionally. Yeah. And I got through the minor leagues real quick. I don't know. I don't think that would have happened if I would have signed when I was 18 out of high school. I think it would have been a rougher road for me. I'd have probably ended up the same. Mm-hmm. But you never know how certain personalities are going to take it. You know, some eighteen-year-olds are ready to get drafted and sign and go, exceed, you know, excel in the minor leagues, and some aren't. You yeah. know, from a mental standpoint, they're just young. They're 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 still kind of boys. Yeah, in a man's world, and it, that's why I hate to see some kids that are on the brink for me, or he's just not ready to go, because you're going to be hitting one sixty in extended spring yeah in about two months and how are you going to handle that you know certain guys can handle that yeah certain guys can't so it i'm sure it's ruined people's careers the great ones are going to be great and they're going to fall down they're going to get back up and keep going but but the ones that don't have that quite mental makeup as tough as they need to be going to a ball in the minor leagues can really be the biggest humble pie you ever had isn't it funny dave just one quick thing brett when you talked about the roger clemens thing the first thing I thought was the this situation where they always say baseball players have a long memory, but in the situation you just described, you also have to have an incredibly short memory, right, to forget oh. about yesterday. So it's like it's funny because you guys kind of ride that teeter totter of remembering things that have happened in the past, but also having to forget things that happened in the immediate past so you can be better tomorrow. Well, and I think you learn you learn that as you grow and as you mature i remember as a young player boy i was i was as hot-headed as you could be i mean breaking stuff every game and after a while you know i had some veteran guys talk to me about it like you're gonna you're gonna have a heart attack you keep going like this and slowly through my life i learned to to you know and i and i fast forward to to now i'm a 10-year veteran and i'm in seattle and on that team, I was kind of the guy, and I was kind of appointed, and I kind of took on that role as I was the guy that kind of led the way. And I had a couple helpers in the clubhouse. You know, I had great players around mm-hmm. me, but not necessarily the personality. Edgar's one of the greatest right-hand hitters I've ever been around, and he's helped me with so much. But he wasn't the guy. He was that soft, gentle sure. giant in the clubhouse. That, But myself, when I would walk into the clubhouse, people would look to me for – how are we doing today? And Mike Cameron helped me a lot. Oh, like that. Nice. What an awesome teammate. He helped take some of the pressure off me. But I, I realized it was my role on that team to walk in and be as even keel as you could. I, and, and I learned that from a lot of guys coming up is who do I want to be like? When things are going bad, how does he behave? Mm-hmm. Anybody can do cartwheels and turn on the music real loud and do a dance when we're four for five. And we just won four out of five. I want to see the guy when we just lost six in a row and you're one for 22. Mm-hmm. I want to see that even keel. And the best players and the players I respected the most, when they walked into that locker room on a daily basis, I couldn't tell whether they got three hits or no hits the night before. Man. And that was something I strived to be. And it took me a while to get there. But once I got there, it, it, it calmed me down a lot as a player. And it just, like you said, it's when that game was over, it doesn't matter if I'm 3 for 4 with two homers or 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, I, once I leave that locker room, that's over. Yeah. You know, good or bad. Good or bad, because tomorrow it doesn't matter that I did real well tonight. I got the tough pitcher tomorrow. So I got to stay even keel. And you learn that over time. You learn that over time, and it's part of growing up. 
when you watch baseball today, is there one guy in baseball that if the television's on and that guy comes up to bat, he's the guy that you want to watch? Is there someone like an Altuve, uh, a Mike Trout, one of those guys? Uh, who's that... the third baseman for Colorado? Arenado. Arenado, yeah. Nolan Arenado. Love watching him. I'll tell you what, I, I've gotten a new appreciation because, first of all, I couldn't even imagine your rookie year hitting, what do you hit, 52 judge? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 52 homers in as a rookie. You struck out 2,000 times. But I'll tell you what, look at his on-base percentage. Yeah. That is a gift. You know, you, you get on base 400, you're a star. And to do hit 53, and, and I think it was a testament of what kind of player he is last year, was first of all, you look at, you look at the size of him, he's so big. You, you know, until I was on the field standing next to him, I can't even say how. You know, I played yeah. with Richie Sexton, who was the tallest hitter I think ever. He's just as tall, only he's Thick. 280. Yeah. I mean, this guy's a monster. I yeah. just thought, could you imagine if I had another 10 inches or 11 inches <laughs> and 85 yeah. pounds? Monster, right? But comes with that is his arms are a foot longer than mine. Yeah. You know, so he's got a lot more moving parts that are tougher to reel in. You know, you got a shorter arms and you can stay more compact. So you got a lot more that can go wrong when you're that big. Once again, catch 22. Because when he hits it, it's like he's playing in a little league field because he's so big and powerful. But I had a new pre. I, I just watched him. I, I only saw two games, and the big question is: Can Judge come back? You know, especially with the big strikeout numbers. I'll tell you what: He looks so good, so poised, with so much that's been given to him so early, especially being in New York, where he's like the man, and to be 23, 24 years old, and taking that on from everything I hear. I didn't really, I didn't talk to him or anything, but things that Aaron said, he says, just a great human being. Great, and to see just his quietness at the plate and the discipline and the poise he's still either walking or i'll tell you what you throw a strike to him right now he's got an approach i'm i'm watching that really works for him he can hit a pitch inside corner he just flip it out over the right center field fence which is an unbelievable approach to have if you have that kind of weapon in your arsenal there's nowhere for them to get you out and i just i'm very impressed early on and I was skeptical like everybody else. Hey, what's he going to be like his sophomore year? I'll tell you what. I would now, after watching him in the two games, just the two games I saw, and I think he's off to a really good start, I would be – it wouldn't surprise me one bit if he went out and won the MVP this year. Yeah. So that's yet, that's something to me, though. You know, put me in my rookie year again and go, oh, you're going to hit 52 this year. I'd be like, pipe dream? Yeah, you, right. you know how many home runs 52 <laughs> yeah. is? Yeah. I know Yankee Stadium is a good place to hit, but 52. you got to get it up 52 times. <laughs> That's hard to do. It's incredible. In that, that market, absolutely. and then, like, if they can get Sanchez hitting, because he's a little Sanchez slow out of the gate. Sanchez can really hit. Yeah, he's a stud. A little slow out of the gate. Gregorius then, can really right? hit. You and bring Stanton it. hasn't gotten going yet, but no. I, I was checking tonight, because now I hate to admit it, but I do follow the Yankees. You have now. to. I have to. Stanton was three, baseman? three and he hit one 500 feet again. What's the rookie, the second baseman, the the phenom they just called ah, up there? There's so two of them. There's two in Playbar or Dave, the kid, that, the, the number one guy, along with Acuna, from the Braves. You guys know who I'm talking about. The Yankees. They're so loaded, man. What yeah, an amazing. They just called some kid up. And, and I haven't got to see them really play, but Aaron says they're really. That's what he was more He was more excited about in spring training. He said, everybody coming out of my pen store in 97, 98. Yeah. He said, but you know what the, the, the coolest part is? You should see what we have coming in the minor leagues. It's unbelievable. He said, these kids got a lot of talent. So he said, look for these two infielders that I think are called up right now. Yeah. yeah. He said, they're, they're potential future stars. So, uh, 
it's going to be an interesting year for them. I, I just look around the league, and there's so many, like I said, there's parity. And, and I've followed the postseason the last couple of years, and I don't think, you know, there was a time where I could, you could kind of predict who the best team was. Now anybody can win. Yeah. Yeah, and right. it doesn't surprise you if Boston wins. New York, nope. the Cubs, because they're still talented, not off to a great start. Cleveland. Yep. Um, there's so many teams around. They ain't Look at the Angels now. Yep. Um, obviously the Astros, who are still unbelievable, you know, in all, in, in all uh, facets. But uh, it's going to be interesting. And, and for me, the Yankees got the lineup. Uh, it's how well they pitch. Just like, uh, I guess that's pretty lame. That's what it is. Lame answer. <laughs> you did pretty good, but you failed in one way. You went two hours and you didn't drop one David on him. It's the highlight <laughs> we, of... We well, thanks two, for having me, David. Yeah, <laughs> we, we had two things going on last night. We called out because we knew you weren't going to listen to last night's show. One is let's see how mad we could make you when we mentioned Ichiro. You did you didn't fall for it. No, we tried to we get tried, you, we tried to get we you trash him, but you didn't. Then we said Jeff because how is going to call you David? I was going to do it because he he's the only one that does it outside of my mom. You understand this story, right? We've talked about this forever for as long as you guys. Well, have been it friends. started off. I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. And that's he why said, I think it's said, great. Nobody he still calls does me David. He called me today. I always he called call me David. David. It's great. Yeah. And you didn't do it once tonight. You called him Dave 10 oh, times. No, before you got here, I said, hi, David. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go through Mexico to get to your house. God dang, right? <laughs> Holy cow. Brad, every time you're here, it's great, man. We got to do it more often. We're sorry it took so long to get you back. It's great. I, I just love, I know Dave feels the same way. Just hanging out, talking baseball. Picking your brain, just hearing your thoughts on the game today. But it's a blast for us, man. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks for having Absolutely me. How'd the book it. do? I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm kind of uh, – it was doing well. Okay. Uh, I haven't done any signings lately. I mean, I'd, I'd do another one, but uh, I'm a little booked out. I still want you to go read my book. Yeah. But, Find it on uh, Amazon, right? That Barnes and Noble. But yeah, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. I, I haven't checked. Give the recently. title of the book. Uh, home game, Brett. That's right. Uh, big league. I forget. <laughs> it, it's home game. It's a good. No, well, you wrote it all seriously two years ago, right? Yeah, it's a it's a cool book. It's you know it's just reminiscing about old stories and and uh, you know when I when I wrote it I was a little pessimistic going in yeah. but after the process I went through the process it's pretty cool because it yeah. brought up a lot of childhood stuff. You know, and Grandpa, and how he would tell me that stupid Bob Feller story for the 10th time. <laughs> is that right? But 10 years later that he's been gone, bringing yeah. up those stories yeah. is really cool. Like, how lucky was I getting firsthand him, his conversations with Ted Williams and, and all the great players he played with and against. Uh, so it ended up being something that was really cool in the end. Um, you know, and I got to tell a few cool stories, like the night Aaron hit the homer. Or, yeah. And, and actually that night, I, I, I announced it. We went to a private party after that. And I would never go anywhere near the Yankees, even Correct. though I liked the guys and I respected yeah. them. It's just something you don't do. And I went to their little private party afterwards, an undisclosed location. It was a you know restaurant bar. Sure. I walk in, and I forget who it was. It was either Bernie Williams or somebody said, hey, you got to give a toast to your brother. Nice. So I got up on this crickety table, and yeah. uh, I said a little something. I said, and by the way, and I – you know, raised my drink, and I said, for one night and for one night only, I'm very proud to be Aaron Boone's brother. Yeah. So, until that little kid the other day, <laughs> it did happen one other time. Here's the other thing, too. We have the coolest audience ever on social media. And they're on Twitter, and they get it, and they protect this show, and they protect people that are close to this show. 
Brett's on Twitter at the Boon Twenty Nine. Brett was having fun on social media, and people lost their mind. Like, <laughs> well, you yeah, were, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, look, all I'm going to tell you is the guys that love this show. Brett's a big part of it. He's he, he Dave and I will tell you, and Brett, you know this. We've said this to you. We met Brett. What year were you here in San Diego? Two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. He came in studio one night with us at KFMB. It was the first time we met him. It was the only time he had ever been on the show. And if you had said to us in 2008, 10, 14, or 16, tell me some of your favorite guests, Brett absolutely, absolutely. would have been on the short list just because of how much, not only the joke about the limmer, <laughs> which is still one of the all-time great lines, but it was just so much fun. Like there's just kind of, uh, I don't know, they say like a presence where people talk about the game. They talk about you find yourself engaged. Brett's one of those guys for me and Dave. So here's all I'm saying. If you see people, not that Brett can't handle himself, but the social media maniacs that love this show, and if anybody starts fucking around with me and Dave, people jump in immediately. <laughs> Understand? I try to follow you guys. I can't. I tell David all the time. I cannot. I You're right back. You know, because I really don't post that much. I mean, I'll no, go. No, I'll go great. a month in between, but I, once in a while, I'll run across one of Dave's, and I'll be like. What the, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. It's like eight deep. I got to go to like crazy. Twitter. And I'm like, I'll get to practice. I'll go, David, who the hell is so-and-so at this? Oh, it's some guy that uh, we're yeah. just joking. And I never know. Are you guys no. serious? No, That's a little harsh. It. None <laughs> of it is. Yeah. None of it is. So it's funny for me to because I'm still, you know, I have social media and I, you yeah. know, Twitter and I have an Instagram. Usually the Instagram is for following all my kids' posts. Yeah. You know, my daughter's always with her. You yeah, know, little pretty girlfriends, and they're all posing, and then throw running it through nine filters. Of course, so I have that for that. And then you have Facebook, just yeah. to have Facebook. Um, but I still I can't figure out Twitter. Like I said, I'll see well, David's post, and I'll be like, "Where the hell is that? What yeah. is he talking about?" Just, and guys that are really versed on it, oh, yeah. Well, he's boom, and they click a button. Oh, here's where the conversation started. I'm like looking all over the place. Yeah. Phone goes off. I don't know what they have. We have a uh, we have a very good group that's part of it. And today I had our our one friend uh, say f those guys. That was one of my favorite tweets. I had another guy who wished that I would get knife today. These are all buddies that we've known for 25 years. Brett. I had a guy now, yesterday say he wished I was never born. Yeah. These are all your friends for <laughs> now, 25 now this years. This is your buddy, though. Yes. It's great. Well, it's they became a, buddies, listeners. Look, you oh, okay. you were never the guy, Brett, that had a hang at the end of the bench hoping to maybe get in at bat. But if you ever were in that situation. I'll tell you what. There was a couple times I was at the end of the bench, and I was hiding because I didn't want to get in at but bat. But you understand, <laughs> as we've always said, if you remember, if you were one of the three guys at the end of the bench, it was maybe some of your favorite memories in sports because it was just hysterical. Mm -hmm. Those three guys at the end will extend it out by about 2,000, and you've got 2,000 guys sitting at the end of the bench, and they're all just cracking jokes, having fun. But the good thing is, if anybody comes in from the outside circle... You got the troops. They're like, hey, don't fucking come in on our guy. <laughs> don't come in on our guy, Brett Boone. We'll take you out. And so uh, that's all I was saying, man, is follow the Boone 29. The Boone 29. He doesn't tweet very often, but when he does, man, it tends to make news. <laughs> By the way, the did, book you, did is you see my... Uh, no, did you see my star on the Walk of Fame? Wait a second. Are you serious? You saw it on Twitter, didn't you? No, I did not. Well, you got to look it up. Where'd you get a star? Just check it out. All right, I will. Check out my feed. I'll do it tonight. Okay, absolutely. The okay. Boone 29. 
Okay, so the, the book, though, the book is great. Look, it's three generations. There's a fourth one that will be coming. Brett Boone, Home Game, Big League Stories for My Life. and, and Big the, League Stories. Big League Stories. Yeah, you said Big League Stories. You sure? Yeah. Is that the way Trump says it? I don't know. Big, big League? <laughs> big League? He, he was always saying Big League. <laughs> yeah. But then we then everybody got out their, their dictionary yeah, and realized that it, Big Lee is actually a word, too. A word. Oh, nice. Yeah, but he was saying Big League. Let's yeah. just, let's just <laughs> let him go. Get that straight. Yeah. All right, before we get on out of here, I want to thank Brian Curry. Brian Curry is your guy all over San Diego County. He's the guy if you want to buy a house, you're selling a house, you're looking to upgrade. He's been in business more than 20 years. Brian Curry is our guy. Fantastic person. Again, a military person. So Brian Curry has worked extremely hard. He has made the transition in jobs. And look, he is the best in the business. Right now, if you're looking all over San Diego County, Oceanside, Imperial Beach, no. Escondido, Chula Vista, North County, you name it. Jeff hates Imperial Beach. That's why we, we go through this all the time. But Brian Curry is your guy. 619-251-1588. 619-251-1588. So we uh, mentioned last night that this podcast, a part of it, may become a subscription podcast because it's growing and it's a business. And uh, a lot of it will be free and part of it will be a subscription. Our friend Brian Curry said tonight, Dave, I know you didn't pay attention, but I saw it. He said, throw me a free subscription and I'll sign up for another year of advertising on the spot. Perfect. He said, that's the greatest deal ever. Uh, I'm getting ready to move. Anytime you have to move, it's a challenge. Brett, you've been through it plenty of times as a player and anything else. And it is always a headache. Nothing better than having a guy on your side. Nobody better to have on your side than Brian. Tell them Dave and Jeff sent you. We'll get you all hooked up. Again, you can find them online, BrianCurryRealEstate.com or 619-251-1588. Also, don't forget Blake and Travis. You're going to need a plumber one day. HappyPlumbing.com is the easiest way to get Blake and Travis all over San Diego County. 24-hour service, seven days a week. Don't forget, you have the free estimates. Why would you go anywhere else? You're going to need a plumber. Everyone's going to need one one day. Blake and Travis are your guys all over San Diego, licensed and insured, courteous, uniform professionals. You're going to want to keep that number because you have, uh, your one son's 19. How old is your other son? My son, 24. 24. Back in the house, Dave. That toilet's going to get blown up <laughs> and you're going to need happy plumbing. Those kids do it. Something always happens. We'll just leave it at that. We're not like the Cilio show where you got to go into great details about what you do in the morning that nobody needs to hear. All we're saying is it could be a washing machine. It could be a garbage disposal. It could be something in the bathroom, anything at all. You're going to need a situation for happy plumbing. <laughs> We've seen Brent Starr on the Hall of Fame Congratulations! Yes. That's fantastic. No, no, Walk of Fame or the Walk of Fame. Yeah, you know I have an SB, right? I believe you would you have, have an SB. I have an SB. Oh, that's sweet. No, no. Wait a minute. I don't have an SB. I have <laughs> a uh, Grammy. Not, not a Grammy. A Tony. Nope. Keep going. <laughs> Oscar for journalism. Oh, a Pulitzer. Nope. Not for journalism. For broadcasting. Uh, Emmy. I just Did you said, have an Emmy. I got an Emmy. No, you said SB. I said SB. It's an Emmy. Yeah. What'd you get an Emmy for? That 2003, we had that sports broadcast of the year when Aaron hit the no homer. No way. Yeah. You, got, you didn't and say I, anything. And I sure. called Fox. I, well, I had a shirt. I, somebody made me a shirt that said Emmy Award winner. Attaboy. Yeah, like but I'll it. tell you this. I called Fox. I said, where's my Emmy? Yeah. They said, we only get one at the studio. Oh, liar. Bullshit. Lie. If, you, gets one. If, you want a, if you want your own, we can do it for twenty nine ninety five, and we'll send it to your house. I never did it. Oh, you should have done you gotta it. You got to get it. Yeah. We want it. 
Our you did. It was Boston awesome. Broadcasting won it. That is yeah. I think the players Joe Buck, won it. But yeah, yeah Joe told, Buck, send me that. Yeah, and then tell the truth dick. on Howard Stern. <laughs> We're all going to beat the shit out of you. Uh, happy plumbing, Dave. Give uh, the number one more okay. time. Okay, 619-433-4943. Don't forget about that $99 drink cleaning special. And last but not least, don't forget about Alan Taylor, TaylorMade Pools. Alan's the guy. You want it, that perfect pool? You want one of those infinity pools? You want to set yourself up for the summer? As Jeff says, all good things happen when you have a pool. Those pool parties happen when the girls show up. Oh, my That's goodness. the way to go. TaylorMade Pools, 20 years in San Diego. Contact Alan Taylor, 619-449-4452, 619-449-4452. I'm under the clock. I'm going to move in September. That means Alan's got three months to get that pool built before the Dave and Jeff Christmas party. When Porn Hall of Famer Lisa Ann shows up to be my date at the party, Brett Boone, how do you like that? I don't know anything about porn. I don't. I wouldn't about? expect you to. All I know is uh, I'm going through a divorce. Everything's fine. But I have my first Christmas party date. and It's Lisa Ann. She's a Porn Hall of Famer. If I can't have her going to the pool at the Motel 8 and IB, I got to have goddamn Allen getting out there building it with the, uh, what the hell is the word, Dave? Like Jimmy Conn and Vera, where'd they hang out? It's the word I want. I keep saying gauntlet. That's a word right there. Read the grotto. It. The grotto. That's what I need. Come on, Alan. Search on that up. I need the 3D. Lee Sam's not going to wait around forever. <laughs> Brett, thank you as always. Brett, you're you the greatest. It. Thanks, guys.